and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham, and I have the true privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast. And today we're bringing you the last of three episodes that are the keynote addresses from the Advance Conference in October of 2023. Advance is our annual gathering of encouragement and equipping for church leaders at all levels all over the Northeast. And this event, every year, it seems like we get to take a step forward and it gets just a little bit better. And I've loved hearing the response uh, to this event. We'll be gathering in the fall of 2024, so keep your eyes open for that information. Closing out our day, uh, the second day of advance, capstoning the entire event, uh, is someone who is not new to the Evergreen Way podcast. If you've been tracking along with us, Pastor Mark Pena, lead pastor at Grace Church in Hudson, Massachusetts. Uh, they were our hosts for this event, and we thought there would be nothing more fitting than having Pastor Mark bring us home, close out our day, and he just did a phenomenal job of setting the tone as we went back out into it. And I think for you, uh, my prayer is that it would be that for you as you look forward to 2024. So without any further ado, here is uh, the keynote address from the Advanced Conference closing session with Pastor Mark Pena. For those that don't know me, my name is Mark Pena. I have the great honor of pastoring Grace Church. I've been here for 11 years, and uh, it has been our joy on behalf of myself, our team, it has been our joy to host you for the Advance 23 Conference. So thank you so much for making this happen and for coming. I, I'm not sure how I feel about batting cleanup. Because I got to preach through Panera, through multiple breakouts. I got to preach to people that are probably at this point thinking about tomorrow morning. So thanks, Tim, Andy. Appreciate that. I think it's very cool. Um, when we gather as believers, as the body of Christ, to lean in and hear from God, I think it's cool when God orchestrates stuff, right? And I, I've had a sense uh, since Friday night that God's been doing stuff, and he's been speaking. And so I'm just going to add my voice to echo already what has been going on. Just by way of reminder, we had Pastor Justin Friday night Point, to, uh, point us out to remembering the miracle of the new birth. That's where it all starts. It takes an act of God to make a child of God. And we must not forget. And God could do that with anybody. And that was Friday night. We celebrated that secret of the kingdom, that supernatural miracle when God changes a heart in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus. This morning, Dr. Jenkins, I like Dr. Jenkins because I also say everybody. I'm from, the, I'm from Brooklyn, so we got, we got stuff happening. Yeah. Oh, I got some. That's right. I got Brooklyn people in the house. Oh, yeah. 
Y'all are in trouble. (laughs) Dr. Jenkins this morning, again, pointed us to a foundational truth that in Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. And that's the message of the church. That's your message, my message, our message. And so this is, it's kind of struck me that, you know, sometimes I come to these things or we come, we attend, and it's like, okay, what's the new revelation? What is the new innovation? Give me the new creative idea. And so far, it's been a call back to the foundation, back to the basics of the gospel. And so I'm going to be just in line with that. My, I usually am a one text kind of guy, but I got two texts that I want to share with you, and both of them are incredibly familiar to mostly everybody in the room. Matthew 6, 9 and 10, the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have an interesting assignment. It was given to me to take that very phrase and tweak it like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our towns, in our cities, as it is in heaven. And so I want to chart a course with two very familiar passages of Scripture. And before we read them, let me just comment. The first one is from Matthew chapter 22, and of course, it is the great commandment to love God and to love others. The second is that beautiful snapshot at the end of Acts chapter 2 of the church. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship and the prayers. You remember that? And so I'm going to read those two. But this is what I want for you to have in mind. I believe, and I think it bears out in Scripture, that this command in Matthew 22 is what shapes and gives birth to what happens in Acts chapter 2. So that's what I want you to see, that loving God, loving others, when we live in that rhythm, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today, when we live in that rhythm, something happens that's life-giving. Churches are born. People are saved in that. All right, I'm old school. Let's stand for the reading of the word. Two texts. First one, Matthew 22. I'll read from verse 36 to 40. Then Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'm reading from the uh, extreme spirited version. So Dr. Jenkins went with New King James. I thought, I'm going to come back on that. I got the ESV. Matthew 22. Hear now the word of God. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God's word for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. For all that you are, all that you have done for us in Jesus, we say thank you. And Lord, now as we lean into your word, I pray that you would come in the power of your spirit and you would speak to us. As we consider what it means to be the church, your church in this place, in the different locales that are represented here this afternoon, as we wrestle and try to figure out what that means, what that looks like, help us. Give us your eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, a heart and a mind to comprehend, to receive. I pray especially for those that are in ministry that are tired. For those that came to this conference frustrated, filled with anxiety, filled with all kinds of pressures and burdens, I, I just, God, I ask in Jesus' name, that you would liberate them, that you would blow a fresh wind of the Spirit upon them and within them. Lord, only you can do that. And so we look to you, we trust in you, we ask that you would do these things for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Christ's name we pray and all of God's people said, I usually on a Sunday morning after I pray, I say give some, turn around, give somebody a high five. So I'm going to tell you to do that with the caveat that on Friday night, Pastor Justin was, he said, hey, everybody give a high five. Then he went on and quoted this statistic that half the people uh, don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. So at your own peril, <laughs> give somebody a high five and you may be seated. I simply want to echo over and over again the importance of what we just read, the loving God and loving others. I believe that when we give ourselves to this rhythm of loving God and loving others, when we live in that rhythm, not in the tension of those two. So I want to highlight that. I'm not talking about oh, there's something over here, and then we're holding something over here, and we live in the tension of these two truths. It's uh, the tension of, I don't like the word tension. I'm stressed out as it is. 
don't need, and, and all the pastors said, Because I don't think it's about living in the, t- the attention implies that loving God is pulling us over here. And then we got to look, oh, oh, but I got to love people too. And then it pulls us over here and we're back and we're forward. That's, that, I don't think that's how that works. I think it's a rhythm. I think as we love God, we are moving towards people. And as we move towards people and engage people and we lean into their lives and see what's going on, we're moved back to call out to our Father in heaven. That's the rhythm. And if we can live in that rhythm, things will happen. Miraculous things. Acts chapter 2 will happen. I want to make a couple of observations. One broad Broadlands, big church, and then one more personal. But, but please, hear me here. If there was something that I, if there was a principle, a truth that I want you to go with back to your staff, your teams, your churches, and I mean drill it hard, is this rhythm. Teaching our people to live in this rhythm. What it looks like and how to live in it. We should not be sending our people, congregations, volunteers, those of us that gather on Sunday mornings in our churches, we should not be sending them into our communities and into our neighborhoods simply to be good moral people. Just do good stuff. Be good moral People do good things. No. We should send them with a vision of the gospel. We should send them with the sense that they are loved by God, and as they move towards their communities and their people, guess what? They're going to encounter God right there too. This, uh, I'm going to call it, this is the cruciform rhythm right? The cross-shaped, cruciform, the cruciform rhythm through which gospel transformation happens. Cities, towns, individuals. When we love God and move towards people, what we find is that God is there and we encounter him. I'm a big, I was, we were having dinner, uh, what was it, yesterday? Tim and I were, uh, eating, and, um, oh, sidebar, because I like to chase rabbits. For This has nothing to do with my sermon. I, was, I think the Pastor Justin is anointed because I watched that man at dinner eat like a chicken parmesan and about five pounds of pasta, and then he got up here and preached a crazy good sermon. Anyway, uh, I digress. Um, we were talking at dinner, and uh, Tim leaned over because I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a believer of what Blackaby wrote. You remember experiencing God? For those of you that have experiencing God, Blackaby, God's at work. So where is he working? When you see that, go and join him because that's where he's at. This is a reflection of the cruciform rhythm that I'm talking about. We have to teach that, live that before our 
our people. Now, there are a lot of implications in what I'm saying, and I could, I, I could if I was very tempted, to, oh, here's the list of the implications of living in this rhythm. In other words, it's like me saying, oh, here are all the different kinds of things that you can do. And usually that translates into, okay, we're going to go back and do this program or do this, tweak this structure or do it. I'm not going to talk about any of that. Because I, I believe your church is as unique as my church. And what works here may not work over there. In fact, I'm almost willing to bet that what works here probably doesn't work over there. So I want to go after just one thing, one implication. I think this is a significant implication of living in this loving God, loving others, in this cruciform rhythm. I think the real struggle for us in our churches, in our individual lives to live in this rhythm is that we have to, the struggle is we have to start moving away from what I will call Sunday centrism. Sunday centrism. Now look, I, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. When I come on Sunday morning, I want to see everybody in the church. And I will, I'm not going to lie. When our church attendance is light, there's something that in me that kind of dies a little. And I think that every pastor, amen, am I the only guy in here? That, that Okay, thank you very much. And so I'm not opposed to Sunday morning services. I think they should be absolutely excellent. I understand and I know, culturally speaking, that is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, front door that we have. Amen. But if we're going to live in this rhythm of loving God and loving others, we must not disciple our people to be Sunday-centric Christians. We have to move away from that Sunday is everything mindset. It's all about Sunday. How many of the staff meetings? How many volunteer meetings? How much discussion goes on in our churches about this coming. Some of you are not listening to me right now because that's what you're thinking about. This coming Sunday. And as important as that is, when we think only or exclusively in those terms, when that becomes the priority, it truncates this rhythm. We, we get stuck. And we're not living this out. The path, two, thing, two isms here that I'll just, hopefully it'll help you capture what I'm trying to illustrate here. The path to intimacy with Jesus doesn't only run through the church parking lot. It runs right through your neighborhood. So let me say that again. The path to intimacy with Jesus, that path, it's not only in the church parking lot, but that path actually runs right through the heart of your neighborhood, your town, your city. That's what we have to remind our people week in and week out. We heard Molly this morning, one of the 
phrases that really struck me because I was going to use the same phrase, was we need to stop seeing our cities and our towns and, and all these, our neighborhoods, these places and spaces. We need to stop seeing them as gospel projects. They're not gospel projects. Better said, they're gospel pathways for you and for me to meet Jesus. It's really counterintuitive, right? It's like, no, 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 I don't, no, no, I'm supposed to bring Jesus to my community, my town, to my place. And yes, and amen. But guess what? This is the, this is the thing that just cooks my noodle. You go take Jesus, but you also encounter Jesus in your neighborhood, in your town. I would say that oh, there are prayers that will only be answered when you go to the community. Let's teach our people that. That the prayers are not just, God only answers prayers in the four walls of our, no, no, no. Many answers to prayer lie outside of the walls of our Sunday morning services and are right embedded. Those answers are right there waiting for them in the communities. They show themselves in the needs of people, the lost, those that are hurting, those that are suffering. It's super counterintuitive to think this way, right? That, oh, God, but... I didn't have to yell that at you. Didn't you know that? Like, isn't there something right in your heart that's, yeah. How many times are you praying about something? I'm not talking, I'm talking about something serious. Something that weighs on you, a burden. Where you, you, just need to hear, you just need to hear from God. You know, those kind of prayers. And you're firing them up and you, God, I just, it, please, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear from you. Just in this situation, in this circumstance. How many times have you been in that space and the answer came not in your closet, which does happen. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But the answer came when you poured your life out somewhere. And unexpectedly, surprisingly, miraculously, God answered your cry. That's the, that's the rhythm. Love God love others. I want to uh, use, I think, a, a great passage of Scripture from one of the most tender apostles of the New Testament. Of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. Why are you laughing? I think Paul sometimes gets a bad rap that way. We think of Paul, right? The, the apostle, we think of an erudite theologian. We think that, man, he, some of us that are more on the Reformed, even hyper-Reformed, we think like Paul was such a good disciple of Calvin. I mean, he was so good. And we have this picture, you know, and, and I understand why, but I'd like to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in two segments where we see maybe a little bit of a different picture of the Apostle Paul and where we see this rhythm in his life taking root and bearing fruit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. But, but just as we have been approved by God, this is the Apostle Paul writing, of course, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Why is he doing what he's doing? 
because he loves God. He's looking to please God. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So that's Paul's way of saying, look, I came because I love God. I don't have an agenda. I don't have an agenda. I'm not looking for your money. I'm not looking for your uh, volunteerism. I'm not looking for any. I came to tell you this beautiful, wondrous, life-changing message because I love God and he changed my life. That's the motive. No agenda. By the way, you want to reach a new generation? You better not go with any agenda. They smell that stuff coming a mile away. Just that one's for free. Um, It goes on to say, but we were gentle among you. Listen to this metaphor. Apostle Paul, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. You see how that worked in his life? God touched his life. Jesus came, changed him. Now, that his salvation and our salvation make loving God possible. And so now he is, he's in love with the creator of the universe. And that drives him to people, to bring this good news, to love them. Like a mom would love her baby. Like a father with his kids. That's what this rhythm does. That's what it can do in your church and mine. And this, it is a struggle. Share with you just, you know, some of the stuff that we've been wrestling with as a church and as a team. We don't have, you can come up to me and say, hey, how do you do that? We're still scratching our heads as far as how do we help our teams, our congregation live in this rhythm, but we, our conviction, it is so important that we'll just keep, we'll keep at it. So it's a, it's an ongoing conversation. We get together every week, our entire team gets together every Monday morning and with lots of coffee and we go over, okay, this is what's happened. This is what's going on. And we do the, what we call God sightings and where's God showing up and let's tell those stories and we encourage each other. But really what we're going for is, are we living in this rhythm? Are, Are we loving God and is that compelling us to go to people to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to call them to Jesus? It's tough because in those meetings, we got, okay, what's happening this week? Oh, we got blah, 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 meeting, 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 meeting. And then after the meeting, there's three more meetings. And I mean, it's, and it's always about, usually, about the Sunday thing. And this, so this is, it sounds great. And it was like, yeah, that is so good. I did. Go ahead. Go. Put it into practice. Here's your homework assignment. Start talking about it every week with your team and see what starts happening. How, how perspectives start to change. How you see your church. How you see your Sunday morning. How you see your neighborhood. How you see your towns, your cities. It's tough. It's t- this is not... It's not easy. All right. 
Hopefully you got that big lens. Living in this rhythm, what's it look like or should look like in our churches? Um, oh, let me read the uh, second part. I was going to leave you hanging. So, Paul, his heart, loving God, brings the gospel. Now, the verses right after that, verses 9 to 13, let me read them. And I want you to have in the back of your mind what we read in Acts chapter 2. And tell me that you don't get a sense of there's a mirroring going on here. So this, this, is, this is right after we've just read that portion in 1 Thessalonians 2. This is verses now 9 to 13. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, it really, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. If you look at some of those verbs and some of those adverbs and those descriptions, and you put them right into Acts chapter 2, that paragraph, you'll see a great parallel, right? So, so first part of Thessalonians, he's talking about his love for God, and that compels him to bring the gospel to people because he loves people, because he loves God. He's living in that rhythm. What's the result? Encouragement, exhortation, thanksgiving, well, good gospel work, lives being transformed, let me remind you, first words of that particular paragraph, for you remember. So he is actually calling to remembrance when the church started. You know what happened when Paul gave himself to this rhythm? Churches were born. Churches were born, birthed, because he lived in that rhythm. I got like a minute. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let me give you the personal um, lens. What, is this, what does this rhythm look like personally? This is hard. There's a line um, right in Matthew 6, right before Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. And he says this, but when you pray... Go into your room, some versions closet, and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you, some versions reward you openly. When we personally move towards living in this rhythm, what we're going to find is that even in our prayer closet, we find God doing stuff. God oftentimes brings us into the closet so that he can send us into the community. And sometimes, dare I say, a lot of the times, that is an extremely painful process. Let me give you an example. Many of you, those that know me, know this story. And um, 
I, at our church, I've told this story, um, but for those that don't know me, I'm share a little bit about my relationship with my son over the last several years. So I got a call several years ago, the call that no parent ever wants to get from school. Mr. Pena, yes, uh, we need you to come down and pick up your son. Of course, my first thought is, what did this knucklehead do now? And they wouldn't tell me. Like, okay, it's, it's, what, did he, what did he do? What did he do? Did he get into a fight? Did he get... Mr. Pena, can you just, can you please, you need to come pick up your son. So I got in my car, of course, and I drove down to the school, and I went and walked into the office, and they ushered me back to the nurse's station. There's my son sitting in a chair with both his wrists bandaged because he had attempted to hurt himself. That was the first chapter of what turned out to be a two-year journey with my son. My son was so gripped by depression and anxiety that he turned to self-harm. And he would cut and cut to this day. And my son is very, he's a courageous young man, and he would show you he bears the scars of lines from the cuts. It got so bad that I had him sleeping in the living room next to my bedroom with my bedroom door open and every little sound, every mouse scratching on the, in the kitchen, every little sound, I was up. And I was headed out of my bedroom door, moving towards the living room. And the only thought, the first thought that came to me is, is this the night that I'm going to walk in the living room and see my son dead in a pool of his own blood? I lived there for months. My wife and I agonized as we watched our son spiral. You know what that did? It made me go to my closet in ways that I had never gone to my closet before, crying out to God, please spare my boy. Spare my boy. It got to the point where it was the, the process, and make a long story short, the process was so agonizing and so long that the only thing I had left was to say, God, he's yours. I just can't. I just can't. Now, I want to tell you, my son is at home right now, and he's doing absolutely wonderful. Just graduated high school, and he is doing super well. Thank God. But I know that's not how the story ends for everybody. Because I've sat with parents and with families that the story ended for them with the loss of the child. It moved me into my closet to cry to my father. But something else happened while I was in there. I emerged from my closet and all of a sudden, I started hearing a little differently. I started seeing 
a little differently. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden I'm talking to more and more parents in our community that were dealing with the same thing. And in our church, when I shared the story, I had people come in out of the woodwork. Oh, my, my sister's kid. Oh, my kid, our kid. And, and all of a sudden, I found myself now drawn into this ministry where God had already been at work drawing me from my closet into my community with the gospel. With the gospel. You got to be careful with this rhythm. You want to you live? You want to live like Jesus? I like when people I want to be like Jesus. Really? Okay. In the passage we read, okay, we're going to suffer with Jesus. You want to live like Jesus? We're going to suffer with Jesus. We'll be comforted. The gospel's real. There's grace. There's mercy. But it's not, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. But... This is I'll end here. This is the good news. There is no better rhythm for your life. Because this rhythm, this rhythm is one of gracious reciprocity. Gracious reciprocity. Grace and grace and grace to you and, gra and grace and grace. So I'll leave you with I consider in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, sort of the paragraph of this gracious reciprocity. Blessed be the God. Let's stand as I read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. May God help us to live in the holy rhythm of loving him with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbors, our cities, our towns, our schools, for his glory and our good. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you to be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and feel free to send us a message. It's an easy way to connect. You can also send me an email directly at andy at convergenortheast.org. That's andy at convergenortheast.org. Let us know what resonates with you, as well as any ideas or suggestions for topics or interviews for future episodes. We appreciate it when you follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and know that a positive review is a simple way that you can help more people discover the Evergreen Way. 
Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.